to showcase what he can do. And I know you've never felt what it's like to be stuck in the NBA, but you've felt this way before. Stuck in the in-between. You see, tonight what we're going to see is a young shepherd boy who is the youngest son in his family and the least likely to be fit for king. He's going to become anointed to be the next king of Israel. When the prophet Samuel comes to Bethlehem to see David's family and anoint David as king, it takes years before his kingship is actually realized. But the blessing that we see here is that David's anointing comes with no strings attached. It's not like the job offer that you get that has to do the background check before you can get there. There's no waiting on the references, right? No, the moment that David was anointed, the calling was as good as done. And a lot of us wouldn't think that if you're going to teach a story from the life of David, that you would teach the story that happens right before all the action. But that's exactly what I want to do. Because this is where a majority of our lives are spent, isn't it? It's in the waiting. So what you need to know from this story is that, yes, God wants to use David, but God also wants to use you. So for the note takers, my main point for this sermon is this, that being used by God often means waiting on God. Let's pick up the story in verse one. It says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn, go with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. And Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he will kill me. And the Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. And Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. And when the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw the first son, Eliab, and said, Certainly, the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. I want to pause right here, and I want to kind of catch us up in the story of Israel to this moment. See, back in Genesis, God promised his children that they were going to inherit a promised land. But before they could make it to the promised land, they actually had a pit stop in Egypt. And no, they weren't vacationing. They actually were held in slavery for a few hundred years. And after they were delivered from slavery, they had to go into the wilderness. And they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And they were leaning on God. And God was providing them there all the while remembering his promise to them back in Genesis that soon they will inherit a promised land. So 40 years go by and they finally get a chance to start making way towards the promised land. But when they get there, the Israelites started to want a king like the other nations around them. And so Samuel, who became a prophet for the Lord, was searching for a king and found this guy named Saul. And he anointed Saul to become the very first king of the nation of Israel. 
And you can read these earlier chapters in 1 Samuel, and you'll see the life of Saul, and you'll see Saul being anointed as king, and you'll see why we're at this point right now where God is saying we need a new king. See, Saul disobeys. He doesn't do what the Lord has asked him to do. So at the beginning of this text, Samuel hears from God and says, stop mourning for this man. Saul is done. Go to Bethlehem and I'll show you the new king. So when he got there, what he found was unexpected. He had his own idea of what a king should be. Not only Samuel, but, but everybody had their idea of what a king should be, right? When, when you think of a king in your mind, who do you think of? You don't think of anybody that's meek and mild. You don't think of anybody that's soft. You for sure don't think of anybody that's too young, right? And so Samuel had this idea of who he was going to be going to Jesse's house and who he was going to be finding to be the next king. You see, the current king right now, Saul, this is who Samuel had in mind. And when he thought of Saul, this is what was true about Saul. Saul was a son of a wealthy man from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was an impressive man. He was a skilled man and he was a warrior. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than Saul. This is what 1 Samuel says about him. And not only that, but he looked the part. He was big. He was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. Right? This was Saul. And the main descriptor that we see about David in the text the only thing that we get about his parents most often is this. He had beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. <laughs> that was it. Samuel for sure didn't think it was going to be David that was going to be anointed the next king. And the only thing that David had going for him was, was he was cute. <laughs> He's cute. Fellas, we know that ain't the word you want to have describing you. <laughs> right? Girl comes up to you and says, oh, he's cute. <laughs> you know, run, run away, run away fast, fellas, okay? That's, that's for free. <laughs> run away quick. No, like, cute isn't the word that you would choose to describe a king. But here's my first point for this evening, right? God looks at the heart. Humans look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What the scriptures are trying to tell us about the transition from Saul to David is that if your criteria for being used by God is based on what you can see about yourself or someone else, then you'll miss it. See, the first son came to Samuel and he kind of resembled Saul. And so obviously Samuel was like, Yo, this has to be the one. But look at verse 7. It says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. This is easier said than done, right? Like, we get this. We love to look at the appearance. right? We're not only enamored with appearance, but we're eager to draw correlations to the appearance. Steve Jobs, the late owner of Apple, right, like, he looks like he would be good with technology, and he was good with technology. Shaq, he looked like he would be good at basketball, and he was good at basketball. Kanye, right, he looks like he would be crazy, and he is crazy, <laughs> right? Crazy and a genius, right? But, but, but you get my point. 
we look at the appearances of people and we're easily convinced about who they are. See, this might make sense in the human economy, but it doesn't make sense in God's economy. He says, I have good work set out for you to do, not because of your outward appearance, but because of your heart. Not because of your intellect, not because of your popularity, not your age or your wisdom or your family of origin, not even primarily because of your obedience, but it's because of your heart. You see, the thing that separated David from everybody else wasn't his competence, but it was his dependence. Let's keep moving in the text. In verse 8, it says that Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. And then Jesse presented Shema, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And after Jesse presented not one, not two, not three, but seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chose any of these. And Samuel asked him, are these all the sons that you have? Your God is literally blazing through all of Jesse's sons, all likely well-built young men, all likely of the age to be king or be anointed as king. But God had someone specific in mind. So my second point for tonight is that God is persistent with his calling. See, we aren't responsible for God finding us. And if we're not responsible for God finding us, then we won't be responsible for God using us. Let me explain this, right? See, none of us here chose God. Romans 5, 8 is clear when it tells us that the most consistent message about God and man relations is that, number one, we run from God, and two, God chases after us. And so what does this mean? Think about how Jesus saved your life. You were dead in your sin. You were blind to the love and the pursuit of God, but God, Ephesians tells us, who was rich in mercy because of his great love for you, he made you alive in Christ. And so in the same way that God chose to save you, he's chosen to call you. We can't save ourselves and we can't call ourselves. The best we can do is respond, right? You steward what he calls you to and you follow his lead. This is the unpredictable way of the spirit of God. This past year when I was in Ames, I got a chance to uh, do some ministry there. And I met this young man by the name of Daniel Lamar. Daniel Lamar is now in Syracuse with my good friend Jason Langford, and he's the SALT director at Radiant Church out there for Syracuse University. But when I first met Daniel, he was a senior in college. He was about to get married, and he got married within the year. And he had this idea that he wanted to do something with his life that was greater than himself. He had this idea that he wanted to serve God, but he didn't know how. But he met Jason while he was in Ames, and Jason was talking to him, and he became captivated by the idea of planting a church. So he said, Jason, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Syracuse. He said, Jason, I want to come to Syracuse with you. He's like, cool. Come on. And so Daniel and his wife, Maddie, thought they were going to be going to Syracuse, finding a job, finding a house, planting roots, 
in serving in this church. But lo and behold, before Daniel and Maddie even stepped foot out of the city of Ames, God had a completely different plan for that man's life. See, Daniel thought he was just going to go serve this church plan. But God said, no, I'm calling you to a place. I'm calling you to a position. You see, some of us think that we have to have this laid out plan to walk into what God is calling us to. We want it to make sense. I'm pretty sure this didn't make sense to Daniel at first when Jason approached him and said, hey, do you want this thought director position? We want it to make sense, though. We want it to be predictable. But the anointing of David shows us that your unique calling from God is persistent and it often finds you when you least expect it. When David was being chosen as the next king of Israel, he literally had no idea. He wasn't even in the room. And yet the Lord was choosing him. And after going through all of Jesse's sons, Samuel asked him in verse 11, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, they're still the youngest. But right now he's tending the sheep. So Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down and eat until he gets here. And so Jesse sent for him. And he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. That boy was cute, clearly. And when Samuel identified him, the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. See, so Samuel goes to Jesse's house to find this new king, and David is identified, and David is anointed. We see this clearly in the text. But as we keep moving, there seems to be this break in the text. Right, there's this new part in the story where, where, where the writer tends to do something different. And what he does is he does this weird thing where it takes us back to the current king, Saul. You see, the camera pans to Saul's house. And what we see is Saul. And he's in this panic. He's sick. You see, the text tells us that the spirit of God left him but was replaced by a spirit of torment. I believe what Saul was dealing with was grief. See, grief from feeling like being king over the kingdom was slipping out of his hands. He was anxious and he was depressed and he couldn't sleep. He felt purposeless and without being king over the kingdom, he didn't know where else to put his hope. And so a question I have for us tonight, Salt Company, is do you have something like this in your life? See, instead of repenting, Saul turned in on himself. And as you read through the rest of 1 and 2 Samuel, right, like it made him a coward. It made him jealous. It made him cynical towards others. It made him paranoid. You see, the very good thing of kingship that God created and that was given to Saul became a God thing. And when it became a God thing to him, it became more precious to him than God himself. And so naturally, when it was no longer his, it ruined his life. You know, you guys know I played basketball. And I like to share this story of mine because we often love things like sports. We're entertained by it. Right? But basketball to me was way more than just sport or entertainment. It was my livelihood. It was my God. 
I set basketball on the throne of my heart. And it wasn't until I retired from the sport, even though I had called myself Christian before, that I was able to actually look at and analyze my life and ask the true question, what is the Lord of my life? Or who is the Lord of my life? See, all of us won't have to go through a reckoning moment. Some of us will. But this was good for me. And we see that it was good for Saul. And maybe some of you came here this weekend knowing that you're weary. Maybe something actually slipped through your hands that you thought was a sure deal. And now things just aren't that sure. Maybe it was a relationship or an internship opportunity, a job opportunity. I don't know what it might be, right? But maybe you come in this weekend and you're a little bit anxious. Maybe you've been having trouble sleeping and you find yourself scrolling aimlessly on your phone at night and you're trying to medicate yourself with things like work and achievement and sex. And if this is you, I pray Jesus shows you that he's enough for you this weekend in a fresh way. See, some of you are here and you didn't even plan on coming this weekend. You're here because your friend dragged you. You hopped in a car. They said, get in, man. We're we're going to the retreat. And it was sacrifice to be here on your part. Because you were leaving behind things that make your life feel normal. And it took everything in you to say, okay, maybe just for a few days, I could let it go. If that's you, I want you to know that you didn't make a mistake. You should be right here. And if this is you, I also pray that Jesus does a work in your heart, that you recognize him as Lord and you begin to let him reorder the priorities in your life. So back to the text. You see, Saul basically saw God and his blessing as king as a means to get what he wanted, and he was continuously disobedient. And when it was no longer his, he crumbled. And so his servants were were scattering, and they were trying to come up with an idea of how to help Saul. And the idea they came up with is like, yo, we need to find some live music, (laughs) right? Because there's nothing like Maverick City music on repeat, right, to fix a headache. And so they sent for David, and he comes. And anytime Saul is having a bad time, David plays one of his greatest hits, and Saul is soothed. But here's what I want to do for the rest of this sermon. I want to find where David is in this text. Look at verse 19 with me. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who was with the sheep. I want you to underline that. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and wineskin and one young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. And when David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much. And David became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. And whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play. And Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Where was David when he was sent for by Saul's court? David was with the sheep. This was the young boy who had a special visit from the nation's prophet and who was chosen out of eight brothers to be anointed as the king of Israel. 
And when he gets sent for by the king, where is this young boy? He's back with the sheep. He had a divine appointment and he chose to serve. Unbelievable. He could have been doing literally anything. He could be trying to move toward the throne prematurely. He could have been trying to claim his kingship. He could have been like, like intimidating his own brothers. Like, yo, I'm the youngest one and y'all older than me. And y'all didn't even get the, the, the prophet to come tell you that y'all are going to be king. Like, he could have been doing literally anything. But after he was anointed, he humbled himself and he went back to the sheep. So what happens when it feels like you've received a clear call from God, but you find yourself in a waiting room? Got two things for us tonight. You do the next right thing and you serve. You do the next right thing, right? Some of you in here need to hear this word tonight. Some of you need to just hear, like, yo, do the next right thing. The thing that's on your heart is for you to do is, is search for relevance. <laughs> Instead of looking for the next right thing, you're looking for the next big thing. And the most important thing you need to hear right now is just to simply do the next right thing. Find a daily rhythm of getting into the word. Start journaling. Memorize an impactful verse. Start praying. And the second thing is serve, right? Because some of you need to hear this too. Maybe you're being faithful to God. Maybe you're in the word. Maybe you're already praying consistently. But you're getting weary and you're waiting. So what do you do? You stay with the sheep and you look for areas where you can serve. Why? Because God values posture over position. See, Christians, so many of us are searching for validation and qualification, not realizing that we have already been validated and qualified, and it didn't even have to do with us. I want to point something out to us really quick in this text. You see, when Samuel first arrives to Bethlehem to see Jesse's sons, come back up to verse 5 with me, Jesse asked if Samuel has come in peace and Samuel replies, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and all his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. This was a cover-up. He had to say this. He had to bring the young cow. Because if he hadn't, Saul would have killed him. But he was just playing. He didn't care about the cow. He's trying to find the next king. The, the consecration of the sons was for them to clean themselves up and to present themselves holy and blameless before God so that, Saul, so that Samuel could choose the right next king. You see, to consecrate something is just this fancy word that simply means to set something apart or to make it sacred or to make it holy. And so God told Samuel that Jesse had the next heir in his household. And so Samuel did what he knew to do. In his best efforts, he presented all the sons before the Lord. But we learn that none of these sons were the right ones. And when David is sent for and he comes into the house, where was he again? He was with the sheep. Why is this important? Because ritually, he was unclean. <laughs> 
he was unclean. He shouldn't have even been in the house, let alone before the Lord. And yet, the Lord chooses him anyway. God looks at David in his filth, in the midst of the presentation of his consecrated brothers, and he says, I don't want them. I want him. He's the one. Anoint him. See, maybe it's just me, but I find comfort in knowing that we serve a God that we don't have to clean up for to impress. See, one of the most beautiful things about Christianity is you don't have to work to be worthy. You're already worthy because of God's grace. And this shouldn't fill us up with pride. This should push us to humility. This should push us to gratitude. Right, because it's a humbling thing to know that you could be in a place where it feels like your only friend is your favorite sheep for the day, where you literally smell like sheep poop, right? And you don't know what that stuff is under your fingernails. You could be just like this and God still sees you. He has the power to redeem you. And he has the desire to use you, right? Some of you feel like you've been giving everything you have to the point of exhaustion. You've been trying to clean yourself up. You've been trying to set yourself apart and you feel overlooked. So here's the good news. You can rest. God sees you and he will restore you. He is a God who opposes the proud but gives grace and who uplifts and who will exalt the humble. So if you're waiting, and you're in a waiting room of God right now. You're a little uneasy. Or you're feeling like you have, you have humility dripping from you right now. Don't fret. You are exactly where you should be. And how can I be so sure of this? Because Jesus knows what it's like to wait. It was his patient and persistent love that came to the pastor for you. It was him who left his high and lofty throne and took on the form of man, even a servant, to seek and save and serve even the lowest among us. Philippians 2 says this, that have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though who is in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. you are a believer in this room and it's true that Jesus in his humility will be exalted and has been exalted then it's also true of you that you and your humility will be exalted you see Jesus made himself unclean and took on a low posture for our sake and God counted him as clean raising him to a high position of glory you see Jesus chose posture over position so that you might believe and so that you might step into the good work he has for you so the band can come up not to close 
I want us to take a minute of reflection right now. Maybe you've come in this weekend and you've been faithful. You've been reading the scriptures. You've been praying intently. You've been serving. I want to I commend you on that. And you're reassured by this sermon tonight. But, but maybe there's somebody in here who's been backsliding. You're a Christian. You once were in the scripture. You once were praying. You once had a close relationship with God, but now you're not so sure. I want you to know that God still sees you. He loves you. He doesn't see you for your lack of Bible reading. He doesn't see you for your, for your, for your lack of need of him. He sees you as a child of God. He sees you as worthy and holy and blameless. If you are God's, you are God's. That's it. And to the non-believers in the room, y'all, this invitation extends to you as well. You can stop with the charade. You can stop with the earning. You can stop with the striving. You can stop with the hiding. You can stop with the scrubbing. You don't have to make yourself clean. I know some of you in this room, I don't know all of you, I don't know where you fall in this camp. But can we bow our heads right now? Close our eyes in a moment of reflection. And I want us to reflect. Lord, would you do a work to remind us? Would you do a work to reassure us? Would you do a work to remind us of your love? Would you do a work to save us? Jesus, thank you for the waiting room. 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 Thank you that you're in no rush. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thankful that you're mindful of us. Lord, we're thankful that you love us. Oh, your pursuit is mighty. Though we run, though we fail, though we're unclean, though we're unworthy, Lord, you clothe us with worthiness. You clothe us with value. And I pray we receive this tonight. I pray that we are reassured. I pray that you meet us here tonight. I pray that you meet us here this weekend, Lord. Wrap yourself around us. Clothe us with dignity. Lord, thank you for the waiting room. Thank you for the waiting room. And would you raise us when we're ready? I pray this in your name. Amen.